0: Welcome to Perfectly Imperfect, a podcast that explores mental health, especially for folks of color. I'm your host, Zell Anderson. I'm a licensed therapist and owner of Panoramic Counseling in Richmond, Virginia. I hope you enjoy today's discussion. Hi, everyone. Welcome back for the second of four episodes in our book club about Jeanette McCurdy's book, I'm Glad My Mom Died. If you haven't caught the first episode, feel free to go back and check that out. Today's episode, we're going to be discussing chapters 24 through 47. Before we hop into the episode, I want to give a trigger warning. Uh, The content in this episode goes over the author's experiences with emotional incest, sexual coercion, grooming. So um, if that is something that is uh, triggering to you, please feel free to skip this episode. Always put your self-care before all else. So without further ado, we're going to hop into the episode. We read uh, chapters 24 through 47. Some of the feedback I've gotten from people who've done the reading, this was quite the section of chapters. So there's, there's a lot to uncover There's definitely a lot of mental health themes and stuff to uncover there. I
1: don't really know what didn't stick out. That's kind of hard for me to pin down. The um, Being 16 and your mom still bathing you. The um, the body shame the um, anorexia that's in conjunction with your mother that's expected, her body image her not wanting to, dev- I mean I, I I don't know what doesn't stick out honestly.
0: That's a good like introduction to this section. So you cover like eating disorder, the codependency slash control of mom is it's. I mean, I thought it was bad in the first section, but when we went into this one, I was like, girl, Jeanette's own like development via, you know, puberty, but also like because of the distorted like messaging that's been given at home. So there's definitely a lot to unpack. Why don't we start with the bathing mom still bathing her at six?
1: I just can't imagine how that wouldn't feel different than being molested. I mean... Just straight up, like that would make me feel like I was being molested, like in the, in the body checks that, that was the big thing. The body checks, like just the visualization of that just made me feel nauseous, makes my skin crawl.
0: What made me, my skin crawl was the fact that the, so I think she was like 13, 12 or 13, the brother was 16 and she bathed them together. I work with mostly teenagers. I can't even imagine how I would, as a therapist, address. I mean, other than telling the parent, "Please stop." But I think of the layers of confusion because you've got a sixteen-year-old boy being bathed by his mom, and it, it mentions how he has told her he doesn't want her to bathe him, but she basically gaslights him into, and he gives up. But I imagine a 13-year-old or 12-year-old girl, seeing her basically, I mean, at 16, a guy is rather developed through puberty, usually. The confusion for Jeanette to have to see that, and also they have that, that Mormon stuff and the religious beliefs all tied in there.
1: It's a mindfuck.
2: So for me, not only was that horrible, but then her describing how bad the bathtub was, like it was mold and all that kind of stuff growing in the tub as well. So you're traumatizing your kids with that. You have them growing in this filthy environment and making them feel like they're incompetent to even bathe themselves as teenagers. That's crazy.
1: My son is 16 and is 6'2", and he basically looks like a grown, grown man. I cannot imagine I I just can't even, I can't even, no, as a mom, I don't even, well, yeah, no.
0: I think another thing that kind of jumps out throughout this section too, is that the, the ability, because we talked about it in the last meeting, the isolation that was going on, they're so isolated from mainstream society that these kids believe that this is normal, they believe that this is how it's supposed to be. And they truly believe that they're incompetent and in that the parent is supposed to take the role of making sure, like, uh, I believe Jeanette, when she gets her own apartment later on in the this, this section, or she starts going on tour or something like that, she's almost like, well, how am I going to wash my hair? And it's it's almost like they they feel unequipped to function in society. Uh, because of this training that's going on at home.
1: Well, and it's interesting too, because of that, they, they're not, they're not trained to listen to their inner voice because internally they know it's wrong. They don't like it. They don't want to do it. But because their mom throws such fits, they, I guess, think it's normal, even though their inner voice, their God voice or whatever is saying, no, it's, You know,
3: I just I'm trying so hard to comprehend. You know how you try to, you you try to figure out what could make a person do those things. And I agree, it's a a mind fuck. Um, But I really try to okay, what would make the mom do this? And because we don't have enough background on the mom, it's just I don't know. And we get a little bit from the grandmother's being materialistic, but where did all this other stuff come from? And what could have possibly happened to the mom? And sometimes nothing happens to the mom, and they just do that behavior. But we don't know why. But I just it's it's very hard to comprehend. Why are you doing this? And she, obviously I can't comprehend a mother doing that and thinking that it's okay, even when you know it's wrong. Why would you continue to do it? I don't. I, I'm I'm flabbergasted. I guess that's the best best word. And then when she had the 16-year-old taking a shower with her dad, I was just like, okay, this is getting really weird. You know, what's going on? I, I, I was just flabbergasted. <laughs> but that's wild. And Uh-oh. I count
0: my blessings
3: <laughs> for sure.
0: Something that comes to mind, I've never seen this in real life as far as being a therapist, but when I was studying for the exam, you have to kind of like, really understand all of the different diagnoses. Uh, I forget what the old term was, but the newer term is called like factitious disorder, um, where it's basically like, and it could be by proxy, or um, there's different types, but basically a parent will convince their child that they're sick, um, is that that's there's the Munchausen. old term, yes, yes. Um, and so it's called factitious disorder, um, and i I'm, I'm not too up on the like different types of it because i've never seen it in real life but while this isn't necessarily like meeting that criteria it's giving it it's looking a lot like it almost like if you can convince your children that they're they're not going to be okay without you and that you're the only one that can meet a certain need or uh make something happen for them it creates like a type of dependency and the dysfunction goes both ways because the the child is uh, limited in, in what they're able to do, but also the parent or the caregiver has a, it's, i mean, it's deep rooted in codependency, but they also get like a psychological benefit uh, and sense of importance from it. Um, so Shaq, I don't know. I mean, it's not the same thing, but I hope that can kind of give a little bit of context like there are clinical diagnoses that do kind of look like this okay
4: i mean i've read a lot of the books about emotional incest and it is incest um and molestation um and abuse and you know all the words like using it the right words that it is i really love that she wrote this book um i don't know if people are being as frank and upfront Enough of this. The second it started in chapter two, I knew that something wasn't right with grandpa and grandma. I don't know, like, I've read ahead, obviously, I've read this book, but I don't know what happened to her literally to make her do that, whether or not she was bad or worse, what that looked like. But it's definitely a cycle. And in my experience, the best way is to just get out and lock the door.
1: (laughs) So. Yeah Well, I wasn't sexually abused, I was abused. and um, the isolation is the abuser's um, main ter- main tool in their pocket and and the whole shame and all the other stuff that's built around everything. So um, I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, and it's something that takes. I don't know that, I don't know that I'm ever, there was one part in here. We'll probably get to it, but I think I had disassociated when I read it because I reread it today and I don't even remember reading it. And it, it relates back to something that happened to me when I was, um, dressed like in scarves and naked underneath and felt very, like, it just did not feel right to me. Um, I felt too vulnerable and exposed, And really, um, and it was when, when they were making her pose in bathing suits. And so I think that's why I completely just dissociated and like my brain, I read it, but my brain does not recall reading that.
0: She had, what I noticed is that she wanted to stay a kid, um, And so the codependency from mom, I think we talked about it last time where she was like, Well, if you choose your own ice cream flavor, then that means you're growing up and you don't need me anymore. And she like guilt tripped her on that. So Jeanette in her adolescence is now believing I can't grow up. Um, And uh, you know, basically, she feels a lump in her breast, uh, which given the um, the the tension around cancer in this particular family, with the mom uh, being a cancer survivor, she believes that she has breast cancer um, or some sort of cancer. In reality, she is going through puberty and starting to get boobs. Um, but then, you know, she is very adamant internally. I don't want to grow up. I don't want to get boobs. I don't want. I want to stay a kid. Um, and I think that was so telling. Um, and I think it, it kept my, my stomach kind of tight as I was just like hearing those different experiences, um, like she doesn't want to, you know, hit puberty. She doesn't want to get boobs. And then it goes way off the rails. Like she talks to her mom, what do I do about this? Honestly, the mom has a disordered eating and probably an eating disorder too. And is coaching her from her own distorted unhealed place, but the solution to not getting boobs is calorie restriction. And to, to what you were sharing uh, about like the clothes and stuff like that, I had written down a quote, the wardrobe fitting, the the designer said, you look great. And then she said, I don't want to look sexual. I want to look like a child. Um, And so she associates anorexia with not growing up, you know, puberty. Um, and she, she basically says, I want to be flat chested and curbless. Um, and I think that speaks to what you had shared about not feeling comfortable. So I'm going to leave those observations there. And I want to let somebody else kind of chime in on that. Cause it was all interwoven throughout this part of the book. It's very interesting.
4: One of the other um, parts that I found interesting around the same time is when she talked about um, her brother that would argue with her mom all the time and kind of call out the behavior. And then she was like, he just doesn't know. And that like I'm mom's pet um, and parroting what she was, the same words are used over and over again. I don't know if you guys have noticed that like with like, you know, when mom does this, I do, it's very, I, I don't know, brainwashy is the only way that I can think of doing it uh, or saying it. And so with teaching her how to have an eating disorder, which is effectively what she just did <laughs> with um, the um, like little girl language all the time, like she's the only daughter, she's the youngest, her mom is like devoted her life to like this child. She doesn't want this child to grow up and uses that kind of terminology. And so then, the, the, then a Jeanette has kind of took that upon herself. You see it happen with ballerinas, gymnasts, um, a lot of actors and actresses, especially these child, I, I don't think we've done enough studies on what is happening to these kids Wrestler. that are thrust in the spotlight like Wrestler. this or know, these
1: Wrestler. physical yeah.
3: conditions. So yeah,
1: male males can get like wrestlers. Uh, yeah, wrestlers. It's it's very yeah. much aligned because of their hands yeah. They have to drop weight and stuff. So yeah,
4: yeah. Men, but I mean, like,
1: it, look at the billions of dollars. It's,
4: yeah, the billions of dollars of revenue that's getting you know like earned all the time about like why your why your body doesn't look right and why you should like lose ten pounds. Even now as an adult, you know, like this just starts so young anymore. Um, and this was around the time I don't know if you guys were parents then. Because like I think she's in her what mid twenties, Jontel maybe I don't know I'm getting, um but this is around the time that I I, I kind of caught it the, the like target switch where like the kids section started looking like the junior section and the baby section started looking like the kid section and the only like kid like you couldn't really find like blue plain shorts you know or like red t-shirts it was very heterosexualized from either way and especially for like the girls clothes, it was like a quarter of the clothes for double the cost and my youngest is was born female um and that was just such a difficult transition because we couldn't find anything and also he uh, he's trans so his his pronouns are he him but him now he would wear his brother's clothes all the time Cause we couldn't find anything or if he was feeling super hyper femme, he wouldn't went, go into that. But I think this was very much the sign of the times that were going on right now then too, cause this would have been the nineties, right? Mid to late nineties that this was going on. Early, early or I mean, we had huggers and we were supposed to show our hip bones and that was supposed to be like a pant style that we should wear. Um, but yeah. So I think that didn't help either.
3: Because I, I do remember back in the time where at one time there was a controversy. I don't know if it was Victoria's Secrets or someone else where they were putting out the little girl's underwears to be very provocative. And I remember a bunch of parents were um, really upset, you know, and now you're looking back. I think we should have. I mean, it it was good that it was highlighted, but we don't realize how much of an effect it is dealing. is. We're dealing with this now. And it's just because mm, I have. um. You know, you see relatives and you're like, well, I for me, I don't like to see little girls sticking out their tongues. For me, it just, I don't know, it's something psychological with me, but I, you know, and you see on Instagram and everything, I just get so upset. And they're like, why did you get so mad? I go, because to me, these young girls sticking out their tongues is sexual. It can, or it can be perceived that way by the wrong individual. I, I'll say it. Maybe that's the best way to explain it, but it's something, something little, but
1: their mouth is open. And so it's kind of, it's, it's different than like, yeah, it's not that it's, it's very much more sexual. I I, yeah. think
0: so. I do too. It's almost like the fetishization um, of children, uh, and, in making them appear as adults, like the, the clothing was identical to what the adult women were wearing on like MTV Spring Break, that kind of stuff. Like the 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 Jersey Shore kind of. Uh, uh, it was it was being like it was being marketed to the kids to look like those people. Um, so I I do remember that, uh, and I'm sure there's I there's still say. elements of it going on.
1: I wanna say that was a Hollister for some reason. And I feel like it was more than the underwear. It was it was the ad, like they they actually displayed it and it was it was terrible. I do remember that.
4: Uh, I don't know if you follow the news, but it's coming out now that a lot of those companies, a lot of them, a lot of the issues that we're dealing with on the news now, it's the same business owners, CEOs. Um, I don't want to sound too conspiracy theory-y, but it's kind of just continued and it's still something that is going on to this day. Um, So when you add this to fundamental religion, evangelicals, uh, policing women's bodies, um, just casual incest, uh, child abuse, it's just a perfect recipe for a lot of trauma, a lot of Um, I don't know, like, I I don't want to connect it to what's going on in the world right now, but I can't help, but not, um, a lot of them were raised in households like this. It's not. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: And we see that later on. um, Uh, oftentimes there is uh, a fear, fear fear-based, um, controlling of women's, uh, bodies. We see that with Jeanette. She, she basically goes into her adult life and we're gonna get into that. I mean, she was basically groomed uh, by, I feel like at least two people, the director or the, the creator as she uh, d- um, uh, labels him, but we all know it's, I think it's Dan Schneider um, is the creator of all these like Nickelodeon shows, like the Amanda show, the Drake and Josh, the, he was, he was over all of that. And so much is coming out now about how he was basically really creepy and whatnot. But, you know, she she goes, she goes through this like fear-based like adolescence. And then she doesn't, she's afraid of sexuality in her body and it's all wrapped in shame and stuff like that. Meanwhile, the, the, the showers and the inspections and all of this stuff. And then when she finally gets some freedom or whatever, she has no clue on how to defend herself or um, to set any sort of boundaries because there was never any modeling for boundaries. And that's that was really heartbreaking. But uh, we were talking about weight um, and weighing and stuff like that. Um, I did write down that she was weighing herself five times a day. So um, I'm going to stop there. I know we unpacked a lot of things. So I'm going to let somebody else share.
2: With that, it was really weird. Even when they were at the doctor's office and the doctor pulls her mom to the side and is like, she weighs way too, le- way too, she's too little. She And the mom was just like, oh, I'll handle it. It's nothing wrong. It'll, it'll be fine. So the fact that you were willing to use your kid. To one, make money for the family. That seems to be more important to you than your kids' health, but you also have this same disorder, so you don't see any flaws in it.
1: Yeah, I agree, and I also got pissed at that whole section because the pediatrician should be one of the stopgaps for reporting. I mean, they're a mandated reporter, and, you know, that's, um, and, and they did say that they'd been reported several times to CPS. So I don't know if John's all maybe this, or I mean, if this could have been one of those times, but that should have been a serious red flag for anyone in healthcare. They're
4: not taught to spot it. My career is in healthcare for the last 20 years. Um, I've done my part to share and um, try to tie in trainings, but unless you've lived through it, they're not taught to spot it, especially if it's subtle and especially if the kid would never admit to it's happening. And if the parents can gaslight them to change the story, this is why our foster care system, CPS, mandatory reporters, our whole system is not working. And it's really been set up to not work. Um, and it's not working for most of the
3: population. I agree with that in regards to the healthcare because working in healthcare, I was just speaking with my son Um, over the weekend, it is not set up to do what it needs to do. I, I 100% agree with that.
1: Yeah. I started therapy when I was, I was the vocal one in the family. So I was the one who needed to be fixed. You know, not everybody else had the problem. It was me. So I got sent to therapy and, um, you know, and I shared stories about, you know, if, if my hands weren't positioned at the table, right. My stepfather would hit my hand with the back of a knife Um, you know, I had to always speak a certain way, you know, I had to always finish everything on my plate. I left a little bit of milk in my glass and filled it up. And he said, no, you're going to drink it. He made me drink the entire glass of diluted milk. Um, and I told her that, and it was like, you know, not like, like, like the the therapist, you know, and she said, if you're being abused, I can have you removed from that home. And what am I going to say? So, so she, she put that question on me and I was like, I, I mean, I, but no, like, (laughs) you know, no, I don't want to be removed. And she didn't want to be removed. An abused child doesn't want to be removed because they don't know any different, but they ask, they, they do a lot of suicidal checks with my, at least with my son now, like they're very into that. Um, And they do ask them if they're being hurt by their parents. They asked my son that and I laughed because I've never spanked him ever because he was like, what? What do you mean? I was like, do I hit you?
0: (laughs) Something that I've noticed um, to kind of tie together um, what um, the three of y'all have said and thank you for your contributions with that from your different um, profession. Uh, I agree with Steph. The system is broken on every single side between CPS, uh, the the mandated reporting, the healthcare system. The physicians are not trained to know how to ask. And uh when it comes to questionnaires like uh what she just described with her son, uh when I, I just had a physical last week and the doctor says it's so deadpan of you know are you do you have moments where you feel sad like it's so robotic and they you know i know because i i basically read nonverbals as much as i read like what people are saying for a living but to me it communicates this isn't important to you so you're not safe to even share if i was feeling some kind of way um and i don't know why but part of the questionnaire that i got was do you feel safe at home um but it, they say it and joke about it like do you feel safe at home because i'm a six foot five you know Black man, I it's it's it, I could very well be in a situation. Like I, I imagine all the people who are being trafficked who go, uh, well, they usually don't end up in getting checkups. But if they do or they come in for an exam or some sort of injury and they're getting this sort of question, if you if you pose that question a certain way, you're not gonna get a genuine response. Also, we must understand that parents who are doing these things um have heard about somebody who's gotten in trouble for something. So then they then coach their kids on what to say. I know for me, um, it wasn't along the lines of like an eating disorder or any sort of like incest or anything like that, but I was uh, uh, physically abused. And I was told kind of like what uh, Becky said, where um, I was told, if you say something, you're gonna make it to where this person can't live with us anymore and it's going to be your fault. And uh, like what you said, where, you know, your therapist said, well, if you're being abused, I can get you removed from the home. A child who's in elementary school or whatever has no understanding. I mean, all you know is your, your home. And you know, the, it's almost like the way that even these therapists are sometimes bringing it up is, your whole world can be unraveled if you say this a certain way. And it really just pushes people back into silence. Um, And so, um, yeah, it's very, um, it sounds grim, but I mean, on all sides, it really depends on if people give a damn, uh, the professionals. Um, And then even on the mandated reporting, I mean, some of y'all have shared instances where you're blatantly saying, this is going on, depending on who you get, (laughs) they don't i mean i know i've called cps before um where um first of all you stay on hold for forever to this terrible tropical music um and uh then when you get there it's a whole process you got to document everything i mean a lot of people don't even want to deal with it so if they can almost talk the person out of what they're trying to say it saves them work and i mean oftentimes you know mental health or healthcare workers are so burned out they're It's self-serving, but they, they, they don't have they don't have the adequate training. They don't have the proper self-care things installed into their jobs and things like that to even be able to respond appropriately. It's it's quite a mess. And I must say to drive home the fact that the system is very broken. I've given full reports to CPS with like dates, times, people, addresses, uh, instances all the details damn near short of a whole photograph and a video of the incident happening and CPS will come back with, it wasn't substantial. So we didn't investigate it and the person falls straight through the cracks um, and continues to be abused. So um, I'm going to leave that one there.
1: I I reported one with a picture and they came back with a mark and dates times like literally quotes and I got a a letter saying this was unfounded and this it just happened to be my um my daughter's boyfriend and they're still together and he was in one of the most volatile abusive situations I have ever known about I mean there's there's worse I do know that but as an educator and as a human being I was like, this. this I, I think I called CPS five times, uh, and nothing happened. I mean, the mother was throwing his sister across the room, calling her a dirty whore when she was in seventh grade. They did nothing. Nothing. And it. And and I called the school, the counselor. Nothing. It just.
3: Do you think they didn't do anything, or the doctor didn't address it because he knew who? Jenny McCarthy was? What do you think that was part of it?
1: I don't think she was famous yet though. Or it could be too much paperwork and he had to get home to his wife
4: that day and get dinner on the table. You know, like he could have just been True.
3: That's
4: okay. sad. <laughs> it's okay. Uh yeah. <laughs> Um, it could be for no reason, he could have just been rushed, um, as someone like I worked with providers for a long time. Um, and like, like in the hospital, right, we're mandatory reporters. And we, I, um, was always worked with a lot of providers. And so we had providers that would report what I would say perfectly. Um, and then we would have other providers that would tell the people that would report, it's not worth the paperwork. You care too much. You're not really going to make a difference. This isn't this you're blowing this out of proportion. Yeah. The entire thing from top to bottom, because we haven't even talked about, I don't know the police and the legal system that's supposed to hold these people accountable. They're not set up to do that. They don't want to hold these people accountable because it's their friend. It's their neighbor. It's their brother. It's their, their mom, their dad, they would have to admit a whole lot of stuff is abusive. And there's a whole lot of people that are very okay with living in denial. Um, It's easier. And they make a lot of money. Healthcare, there's a have and have not. um, And healthcare is full of the victims and the abusers. You do not see a lot of people in the middle in healthcare. Um, So, and I'm not one that makes Hundreds of thousands of dollars a year just to like, <laughs> like, um, and social workers are paid like you know thirty five thousand to work at a hospital with a caseload of twenty five hundred patients. So it's not set up in the way that's to catch the net for making sure things like this don't happen again.
0: And that's it's often the one thing a I mean. lot of lip service right. that it is at best. It's like lip service. Oh, we did the screening for depression and suicide and. You know, are you safe? So we did our part, but follow through is inadequate.
3: And that's the one thing I noticed in the book, because I was writing down. Well, like you said, John's uh, earlier about how I wrote down is like. How do we say all of us need to have there's no such thing as a perfect life, I'll say that. And as you are growing through your childhood with Ginny and a lot of us, we didn't have that role model, the perfect role model. I had I noticed, I said, I wrote down the lack of role models that could have provided um, her what she needed. And then I was like, the shaming. I go, a lot of us, well, I grew up in a fear based parenting. And then I, as I was reading the book, I said, wow, I didn't realize how with the shame aspect and That's why I am right now. But I luckily I joined the military and I got around people in the VA who help you get through that. But then it wasn't until I read this book where I was like, that's exactly what I was trying to get to in this book to help me get to really understand it. And then um, it was just I was saying, wow, a lot of adults failed her because I did read ahead, even when she got away from home and she was trying. There were some adults that continued to, the adults really failed her. And it was just like, it's just, thank God she, and I did write down, I was like, man, I don't know who that therapist was, but I might have to look him up because I'm all for written down. You know, if you write it down, I can understand it. Like she did, you know, I'm more of a written down person. I thought I'm going to have to look him up because, (laughs) but it was a blessing that she got the right therapist, a true blessing.
4: I wanted to relate that to another part in the book um, that I thought was really good. And um, I related to it a little bit is she didn't want to act; she want to write and writing was something that her mom very quickly took away from her realized, Oh, I shared this thing that I like with my mom. My mom would read my journals and turn them against me. Like I started writing again in the last couple of years. I finally got into a place enough in my therapy. I'm doing stand-up comedy like that fast. So like, I know she knew how fast and how, like that's evidence too. That's first person evidence. So the second you start writing things down in journal, she stole all my journals. They all disappeared into the ether. Who knows where they went? Like I stopped writing when I was, I want to say like 13 or 14 outside of like school assignments, but there was nothing that I could trust with like my private thoughts so then they never went out of my head for a while, <laughs> you know, but that's the the writing part. And that reminded me of that because it tied into the shame and the writing and the taking away and the like, you can't have nice things and just the whole entire like theme of it. But yeah, and I'm so glad you found that in the VA. The VA, is they've helped so many people and I think they're doing it better than most. Um, and I think we got to go back to what places are making it work and what does work, but I mean, short of starting all over, um, which I think we should do, but, you know, hey.
3: I... The VA gets a bad rep, but in I, I do, I agree. They're doing a lot better than
0: the image. That's good. And uh, it was perfect timing that you shared that because what I was literally about to say was that quote. So I'm going to share it now. So she wrote a screenplay and her mom says, I hope you don't like writing more than acting. And so then later on in that section, she's saying, I absolutely love writing more than acting, but she reverts to people-pleasing, uh, which we talked about last time. And um, it, it interweaves with this body image and control, and it, it all starts to just uh, turn into this confusion, toxicity soup. But I wrote a note that mom mentions how actresses stay thin but people who write uh, end up with fat asses. She didn't say asses, but I paraphrase. Um, And it all comes back to, uh, you know, if she can use something that she has control over already, like the two of them are bonding over their calorie restriction. Um, Jeanette has now learned that uh, in the last uh, episode, we talked about how uh, hearing from the Holy Spirit is something that can impress the adults, right? So this one is, if I'm good at calorie restricting, I can impress mom. And so mom uses that manipulative bargaining chip is, do you want to be a writer with fat ass or do you want to be an actress who stays thin? And that pretty much, you know, uh, again, that like mind control. And also very ironic that the character that, um, and I think she mentions this, the, the character that, Jeanette plays on iCarly, Sam loves food. Like that character is always eating something. Um, And I just imagine the mind, the mind fuck that that had to be with her playing that role, because in reality, she was not, she, she was repulsed by food. Um, So I just, I wanted to make that little connection there. Uh, Others can add to that.
4: I hate saying that Europe has a specific set of sense of humor sometimes that sometimes is not funny, but stories like that is normally like, Oh, in hindsight,
1: you're like, Oh no. Um, yeah. I think I, um, my, like the table time or dinner was so tumultuous and there would always be fights and people storming off that to this day, I can't, Really eat. I find eating it at the table really stressful and triggering for me. But because I would be the one left alone, and then I would just get up and leave, or I would be on my own. And this might be because I'm a Gen Xer, but I was, you know, I I was feeding myself, taking myself to school probably from the age of like 10, 9, 10. I was, you know, breakfast, get myself up, walk myself to school, go home, do my homework, get dinner, help get dinner on the table kind of a thing. But as I got older, it got worse, the family dynamic, and I would eat alone a lot. And I do remember going through bouts of where I wanted to make myself throw up. Like I wanted to, like, I just had a really bad relationship with food because it was both comforting and sickening all at the same time. And the whole and then my mom, my mom saying sometimes you know you're gonna get as big as a house if you have another one of those like little teeny like um cinnamon rolls, you know, like you're gonna get as big as a house. And and then when I was in my 20s, look at how big your arms are. Oh my god, you know, I can't believe how big you've gotten. I've never weighed that much. And it's just yeah, I, I this the sense of shame around eating, just even eating healthy. And even to this day, I struggle with that, you know, like, God, I've had so much to eat today. And it's like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I I don't think I was full-blown anorexic, but I do know that I have still have a bad, um, relationship with food for sure.
0: And I think that, thank you for sharing that it, um, there was an example that where I believe Jeanette, Uh, was away. I don't know if it was when she was doing her music career tour or something but she's eating like she's supposed to and then she gets off of the plane I think and once she's behind closed doors uh, the first thing her mom says is what happened to you we've got to get you back on a diet and she just shrinks to this young child I know mommy like she even like she, she just shrinks into, I've been, I've been disobedient. I've been, haven't been controlled. You know, it, it, it's um it's really on, on display there. I mean, even things like she goes out to like a, a business lunch with the quote creator, which we'll get into that problematic situation later, but she pretends to eat. She, she like trains herself to, push food around or to look like she's eating to do the business stuff. But she's also in her mind, it's, it's, she's really struggling. And I think that's pretty characteristic of clients I've worked with who have eating disorders and anorexia and things like that. It's, it's very real.
2: Just reading them. Like when she's saying that she couldn't stop, like she would go to McDonald's and order like five things and just eat it and then feel guilty about it later. But When you think about all the years she spent not getting nearly enough calories, not having anybody watch out for her with that kind of stuff, you kind of understand why it's like now you have the resources financially and the freedom to finally do it. So you don't understand how to tell yourself to stop because nobody has ever showed you how to do this correctly.
1: And also, I just kind of remembered that when she got off the plane, she was equally disturbed at at the appearance of her mother because she'd lost. Like another 12 pounds. And then, and that, but, but yet they both went back into calorie restriction immediately after that, even though her mother had lost another 12 pounds because of chemotherapy.
0: That's really messed up. Her mom got cancer again. And so her, her mom is literally ill. And it's, it's reiterating that thinness is healthier or better. It, yeah is a ironic juxtaposition there.
4: Oh, I was just going to ask, isn't a fast food addiction or having that as like a coping mechanism after coming from food scarcity? Isn't that a pretty common, like, yeah. Um, yeah.
0: It is. And, but I read, uh, uh Fat Joe's, uh, memoir that just came out and he was talking about his friend slash fellow rapper, um, uh, big pun. I don't know if y'all remember him, but he used to be actually very skinny when he was younger, and then when he found fame and um, had access to get food regularly, it he it took it to a whole nother level. He went from a hundred and something pounds to I think at the time of his death he was over eight hundred pounds or something, and it happened rapidly and i mean his heart i think his heart just gave out but um in some cases going from food scarcity to a place of access and abundance uh cuz again these kids are in situations that they shouldn't have to be able to navigate but you get to a place where something's available to you and no one ever taught you how to manage that how to to you know and so subconsciously you're just in a survival mode um, you you know you your body knows what it's like to go without, so it's almost like freaking out that it's going to go back to that place. Um, so that's just one example. Uh, it does it does happen. Uh, Shaq, you have something to add?
3: Oh, well, I was just going to say, with the mom, she to, It sounds like she essentially was killing herself too. Uh, essentially, she was. I mean, you're dealing with the chemotherapy and the weight loss, but you're still going to restrict your calories. So she didn't help herself one bit.
0: One more connection to, um, so we talked about all of this, um, this control, this manipulation, this codependency, um, did anyone else notice how that modeling from home, uh, made her very vulnerable in acting because, uh, I noticed how her people pleasing kicked in with everybody. It didn't matter if it was a co-star, a peer, uh, uh, dating relationships, I mean, that could, uh, that that people pleasing and not wanting to disappoint people really ran rapid in this uh, section. So I don't know if anyone has anything, any reactions to that.
1: Even her fans, like her mom, would be off the side telling her how to smile, and like she went to Disneyland, I think, with maybe her grand her grandfather. Anyway, she was like, smile, you know, bigger. And, you know, she just wants her, and, and she said her, she said something specifically like her social anxiety made it really hard for her. She actually called like kind of named it. And I think later too, she named, she's like, I know now that I have a, a psychological illness. She said that later on, like, I know that, that when I do my taps five times or whatever, she's like, I know that that's not my inner voice. That's my mental illness talking or something. So. But yeah, no, the way that she even has to please the fans. Um, and, and she calls it like her dead, what did she call it? Her, her dead smile or empty dead smile or something. And her airbrushed hair and how she had to live in the apartment directly across from that billboard. And that dead look in her eyes just drove her nuts. At least the language that I've
4: been using for the last little bit is mask. Like she described a really good mask that she had like that public persona, but like didn't, it wasn't her behind it. Um, Which I think is a good way to describe what people pleasing feels like, like in a weird way. Um, But I think it also set her up for, like she was groomed at home. So that whole industry it set up for that, you know, so she was easy to work with. She'd learn her stuff, you know? And so like, even at, you know, in the early part of the book, what we read last week, like with dancing or singing lessons or go to this thing or this person being like first when they're last, you know, like, but yeah, I did like the way that she described the mask of it all the like public persona but like really intense because like she had to hide so much, but even from herself, cause like you can't really reconcile that kind of stuff when you're a kid and not really know what's going on. And like, she's writing this as an adult now, but like at 10, 11, like that's like, so like not even a concept that you would know, you know, or to have the language for it. So I think she does a really good way of language adult language and putting herself in child like but is still very like separated from it. And so um yeah, I do think her therapist is doing a really amazing job with her. So <laughs> yeah.
1: And for me that mask hit hit home because I think I've always worn a mask my entire life because um I was shipped back and forth between parents by a plane when I was very young. And so I didn't want to appear upset to any of them. Like, you know, I don't, you know, like if, if I'm at my dad's, I don't want to cry for my mom. If I'm with my dad, I don't want to, or mom, I don't want to cry for my dad. And as I got older and I couldn't really hide that, you know, I just felt more and more just, just sad. Um, I was yelled at and, and made to feel really bad about having feelings for the other parent. And so that mask, you you learn at a lar- young age, at least for me, to mask everything, you know, like I, I'm okay, you know, but I'm not. So
0: the term for that um, is, is, um, code switching. Um, and it can happen in a lot of different contexts, um, where you're basically shape shifting to make other people feel comfortable. And I think what we're noticing through what you shared and also in this book is that the child is caring for the emotional needs of the adults and it doesn't usually end out. Well, I mean, a lot of examples and stories have been shared here. Um, It usually doesn't pan out because the child is not built to withstand the needs of, a allegedly grown ass adult. And before I get into this, y'all have helped me to understand that what was happening at home for Jeanette was in fact grooming. Because though I'm a trained therapist, until we've had these discussions, I didn't even conceptualize the fact that the bathing, you know, your adolescent child is in fact emotional um, and you know molestation, incest, all of that stuff. I it I this is helping me to understand a uh, wider uh, perspective as well. Um but my idea of well. grooming in a traditional sense came when uh she's having lunch or dinner with uh Dan Schneider and he gives her alcohol and he um manipulates and gaslights her because she's on this show iCarly. Um, and he goes, well, see, all of the iCarly kids are so, like, innocent or whatever. The kids over on Victorious, another show that he was the creator for, they drink and they have fun and everything like that. Super creepy. It makes me worry about all of the people who are on that show. Um,
1: Ariana Grande uh, was on that mm-hmm.
0: Yes, exactly. She was on that show um, and a lot of other, you know, child stars. And... Uh, He massages her shoulders after giving her um, his coat because she looks cold. No shit. She's got anorexia.
1: Well, Um, and she gets goosebumps because she's repulsed by his touch.
0: You're creepy. Yeah. She doesn't want to be touched by him. Yeah. So she's underweight. uh, Cold because it's probably uh, she's in an uncomfortable situation. This grown.
1: 75 degrees. She's probably cold
0: yeah disgusting man is like massaging her and she's taught don't upset him don't don't you know her mom is coaching her do not do anything to upset him you know do whatever he says um and things like that he touches her leg um and i at least in this section it doesn't go beyond that from what i gather but then later on she's in she begins a relationship with a co-star or not star I don't know what you want to call it another actor on the show who's 14 years older than her which if we don't know chronological age of who's what um, it may not be an issue right off the bat but she's 18 and this man is like 32 and um, there's uh, sexual coercion that happens tons of gaslighting um, and so some of her first um, uh, sexual experiences are with this much older person and The fallout too of that is there's paparazzis involved and then mom finds out and then we get into that religious shaming, slut shaming, you're a demon child whore, all of this stuff. So that's my cliff notes version of that. I've introduced it. Now let's do what we can to unpack that because it was crazy.
4: I burned all of my emails from that, from my mom that were like that letters and emails, but that is I swear, like I'm on the Reddit page, like Raised by Borderlines and strained Parents. That is almost a template. That is almost word for word. They don't have original thoughts in their heads, like really. But it is like such a story that so many people relate to of like an email like that or a letter like that, name calling like that. P.S. By the way, we need a new fridge. The audacity of that. Like... Uh, oh, yeah. I'm just gonna leave it there. But I did have like one of those like I'm gonna burn it all, like kind of things in like a backyard one time, like just to get rid of it and like not have that energy in like that exists anymore. But oh that email.
3: <laughs> but she didn't want her to forget about that refrigerator though. Honestly.
1: Well, and their yogurt's boiled, so <laughs>
2: I do a lot to help take care of my mom and my grandma. They both have a lot of health problems. So if I do something that they don't like, my mom has no problem calling my phone, cussing me out, calling me all types of names. No problem whatsoever. Then she'll be like, oh, by the way, can you pay my cell phone bill? You mean the same phone you just cussed me out on, but you want me to pay the bill? Okay.
1: That's like if, if, if a child did that to you, you'd be like, give me your damn phone you know, like, and it's, it is, it's kind of like a reverse thing. Like, no, like you'd have to parent your, your, not only your mother, but your grandmother, you know, like I'm not paying to be abused here.
4: Can you like write that down? I'm not paying to be abused here. Oh my God. That's that one's a good one. Well, I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it now.
3: That is a good one. I like that.
1: I mean, I've told my mom everything. It's like there's literally nothing I haven't told her. My I break out in hives when she sits next to me. Like physical hives. And it's always on my right side because her left ear is her good ear. So she has to sit on my right side. My body has such a visceral and I told her that I that being near you makes my skin burn. And there was like no reaction whatsoever from her. My mom literally deadpan is like, oh look, we were in the car driving home from a swim meet. And she's like, Oh, look, look at the tree over there. Like,
0: anyway. What well, we noticed a lot. And we talked last time about, um, you know, some of the examples shared here, clear, like narcissistic personalities going on in some, some parenting dynamics. I, I truly believe uh, uh, Jeanette's mom has more of a histrionic type of personality. Um, because even in this section, I mean, Mom is encouraging uh, Jeanette to use the cancer story to get favors at auditions at this point. Uh, cancer is just marketable. The, uh, the, the going,
4: uh, I'm so sorry. The going to the walks for the T-shirt thing so that she could tell the story at the walks and get attention at the walks for the T-shirt. Like that is such a thing that they do. Um, and using the story, like go ahead, use this to get ahead. So manipulative and is taught.
0: Uh, so she, she, uh, has a boyfriend, um, she's trying to have a private life. The, the man is incredibly toxic, um, and unhealthy, but, you know, she's been taught this whole time, don't rock the boat. Don't, you know, don't upset anybody, um, do what you're told, but there's no education on how to, uh, set in, there's no, su- there's no such thing as a boundary. Right. Um, oh, and, and I know I know what I was getting at before too. The personality disorders. The thing about these personality disorders, um, uh, whether it be narcissistic, histrionic, there's there's a medley. There's a whole section of the DSM five about that. But people don't have awareness of uh, when they have these things. You could bring it to their attention they have no awareness. That's how someone can just as easily like say, cuss you out and then ask you to pay a phone bill. Or, um, you know, the, the mom is like, you're a used up whore. Um, I can't believe you settled for that or whatever. Uh, Run me some money for this refrigerator. Uh, it, they don't, they don't have the ability, the awareness to connect the, Because what they're doing is they're shifting between needing something and parenting, right? They shift so quickly between what can I get off of you? What do I need you to do for me? But also I'm above you. I tell you what to do. I'm in control. They shift so quickly between it. The poor child is just sitting there bewildered, confused. It's, um, yeah, that's my take on that
1: yeah, I also want to kind of go back to when she, you know, started her period and how her mom made it seem like it was just such a terrible, detrimental thing instead of something to celebrate. like you've kind of crossed a milestone in your your life. And you know, it's, you know, it's just a, a great part of growing up, but it reminded me that, I hid my period from my mom for months. I never told her. In fact, I know it was so long. We actually switched houses and moved like, cause I didn't want to, I I don't know. I I didn't want to be embarrassed or shamed or or had attention, you know? So that kind of reminded me, I, I could identify with her, um, you know, I, I didn't have the not wanting to grow up. But for me, it was I didn't want my mom to know something personal about me so that she could use it to embarrass me. If that makes sense.
0: We see that with uh, Jeanette through a couple of just developmental milestones, like first the period, um, but then the experience of But well, first she's uh, extremely averse to anything sexual because ain't nobody taught her nothing about what that is or what it's supposed to be um and then when she does start having you know relationships and encounters she's repulsed by her own body's physiological reactions to experiences um and it just shows how deeply intertwined and interwoven i mean uh you get a glimpse into that uh self-talk that she has and she's just like oh that's gross i i'm I'm disgusted by that or um it she does a good job at articulating the experience in words cuz i imagine the 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 type of processing and things like that that must have occurred for her to write this book so are like in a way to articulate what's going on but also how she's like spot on like caught captured like these experiences that resonate with uh, you know just people in this this group reading the book and I just said, it's, it's only a glimpse into the journey, but it's quite intense and powerful. So,
1: well, I think when she accepts that relationship with the older guy who's 32 and how he literally in order to pick her up on a date has to be so inebriated that he can't even put a key in the door in the hotel to open it. And, and then he's literally sobbing because he left his girlfriend in five years And that's okay to her. Like that's kind of a norm that that's a, that that's enough for her to still want to carry through with a sexual act with him. Whereas I feel like if you had any kind of self-respect, you would, if any partner did that to you, you would be like, Whoa, this is not okay. And then you would leave. Um, I, I don't know that again the pl- but he did she just wanted to keep pleasing him and with her naivety and everything she just didn't know i guess what was normal you know she had no god knows she had no example i d- i found that part sad
0: and there were there were no boundaries modeled at home but even in these experiences where she's not been equipped at home are taught how to handle certain situations because the people at her home were unstable their damn selves and probably you see the generational all and living in the same house it's all clearly not uh it's not it's the cycle is repeating itself but the adults who are doing like the grooming and creepy behaviors sexual coercion whatever you want to call it perpetuate the shame and the, um, confusion for the people, because like after that first encounter, he, uh, she's confused about what has just happened. And he almost like ridicules her. He's like, how do you not know what that is? Like, uh, he, uh, belittles her. And then I think it just keeps her shrinking herself because she just pretends to know or to go along with things. Um, And that's just, it's, it's just showing how the environment that was given did not create, uh, if you don't know a boundary, you know, nothing about a boundary, you're primed for someone to run all over those boundaries. And it's, it's definitely the, the, the ending of this particular section is kind of on a very like heavy, like what's going to happen to her um sort of thing i i haven't read beyond these chapters so i'm trying to keep it right in the week that we're we're reading for but uh i'm looking forward to the next section because there's got to be some sort of like uh 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 what is it reprise or something like that where something like good happens or some sort of growth or healing happens um but yeah uh, anybody got anything else to to add i know it's kind of leaving it on like a a, a tense cliffhanger but that's just how those chapters ended up being divided.
4: I just want to reiterate again, like how much work this young lady has gone through to process, to go through what went through and to intelligently write this book and like to be brave enough. I mean, it's called I'm glad my mom died. Like, you know, also like to be brave enough to make this bold move and write it and how like I just am, I really admire a lot for doing this and i think that it, it it's really helpful
0: yeah i had um the physical i had for the book club i i bought the physical hard copy of the book um but i also got the the audible version and um i was in a session first session new client um last uh last weekend a couple of days ago and um they were describing kind of their upbringing you know the first session you're kind of giving your life story right and I just pulled the book out of my um book bag I said trigger warning this is going to be triggering as hell but I think this story will resonate with what you just shared with me um I said you know take your time with this book um take breaks Literally also just bring it back next time. If it's too much for you, there's, there's no, and I would encourage that to anybody listening to this podcast. I mean, if you've made it this far, um, you've heard quite, uh, 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 quite a bit of triggering stuff. I'll make sure to put a trigger warning at the beginning of the episode, but, um, yeah, this is, this is a very heavy book. And when I selected it, I simply chose it based on, um, the reviews, the the bestseller status, and the fact that I knew this this actress uh, from a show I watched as a kid, uh, I didn't realize how uh, deep it would get. And I, I do like what Steph just said about how it takes a lot of work and bravery and um, unlearning that has even gotten to the point where this book can be written. And I love that it's such a powerful message for people because a lot of people may never set foot in a therapist's office, but if you can find a book where someone identifies with you, I mean, uh, I have no shame in saying that books are my best friend. Um, I stay reading a memoir uh, on Goodreads right now. I think I have four books going uh, at the same time. Um, but I I devour memoirs because I feel like uh, you really get to be in some side of somebody's head and it's very concise. So I, I, I agree, Steph. I think this book is going to be very healing to a lot of people because someone's going to read it and they're going to be like, if that happened to her and she can talk about it, maybe I can find healing too. And her impact of this book is far greater than one single therapist could probably ever have. So I love that. um, There's this like medium to, um, you know, people, it's a safer world now to share your story than ever before. um, But it's still not easy. And that's also kind of why I wanted to do this, this mental health book club, because it gives it gives the opportunity to dig into somebody's story, but to connect people from literally all over the country, to, to like, reflect on a Uh, the same exact thing, but we all have a different vantage point on it. So I'm enjoying it so far. I know it's been kind of heavy. But also before we sign off, just make sure that as you're reading, you know, take your time. Um, You don't do it all, have to do it all in one sitting If something's really not sitting with you or even if something is just really hard, skip over it. Uh, It is completely okay. And for anybody listening to the podcast, be sure to, you know, take care of yourself because These are heavy things, but um, I I greatly appreciate y'all being here um, and participating in this. So, um, yeah, I look forward to the next section uh, next week. Did anybody have anything else to add?
1: But I will say even the just the cover of it, how cheery it is. There's literally confetti coming out of the urn. Um, I don't know why that that picture just fits this book perfectly. Like, and I will probably also be glad when my mom dies and that's okay. You know what I mean? Like that it's going to end a huge chapter of pain.
0: That That's it's, it's a dry and dark sense of humor, even just that cover. Um, mm-hmm. But I, you know the the title is provocative to somebody who hasn't given much more thought to her story beyond the title but i legitimately i kid you not i was in a session with a client today who's talking about how her father died and how she felt nothing and um i think obviously there's nuance to everything but this book and this story um and her humor around it really is normalizing the fact that it's okay to set boundaries with a toxic person and to uh still find joy on the other side of the pain that the person has caused i mean i don't talk too much about my own personal life but i don't i don't speak to either of my biological parents because they're terrible human beings and my life is healthier and a better quality of life without them right um so like you um i i I don't know if i'll be glad um but i will most certainly probably feel very indifferent and and i think say 20 years ago if a person were to say something like that they would be shamed be like how dare you uh you know and but we're in a time now where boundaries and assertiveness and self-care and um, uh, speaking up and calling people out, holding people accountable, even canceling them if necessary is becoming a thing. And I think people are going to live better lives because of that. So I'm going to stop there. Y'all are fantastic. Take care of yourself. Thanks for listening to this episode. Be sure to come back next week where we will be discussing chapters 48 through 71 of this, so you're not going to want to miss it. Thank you for listening. Before you go, consider supporting this podcast in some of the following ways. You can buy me a coffee with the link in this episode's show notes. You can leave me a five-star review wherever you're listening to this episode. You can follow this show in your favorite app to be notified of new episodes. And finally, You can subscribe by email with the link in this episode's show notes. Thank you in advance for your support, and I'll see you next time.